Hello, and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Our scripture for this morning comes from 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings, the things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But wicked people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped, for every good work. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, who do you guys look up to? Now, I know that's kind of a weird question to say to a group of adults, right? Because we don't really say it like that anymore. In fact, that's typically reserved for little kids, right? Because they are actually looking up to us and they're actually physically looking up to us because they tend to be smaller than us, right? And when you're a little kid, you tend to look up to your parents, right? Those are the adults that you're around the most. Maybe it's a grandparent or a parent. Maybe it's a brother or sister. But they look up to you, right? They want to be like you. And so you find them doing things that mimic you, right? They act like you. They wear your clothes, right? Sometimes they sneak into your closet and they're trouncing around the house in a size 11 tennis shoe or something like that. That doesn't obviously fit them, but they feel so proud because they're dressed like dad. They're dressed like mom. Or maybe it's a big brother or big sister, Right, they follow them around, they watch everything they do because their hope is someday to be exactly like their big brother, to be exactly like their big sister. And even though their big brother and big sister says, get out of here, quit bothering me, quit pestering me, they're still going to do it, right? Because they want to see every moment, and every scenario, every conversation of exactly how they operate. And that's why even though hand-me-downs are kind of a, a sad kind of conversation, they love it though, don't they? Because even though it's older clothes, they get to wear something their heroes wore, right? They're big brothers, they're big sisters. They get to wear the shoes and the clothes and look like them. We all have people that we look up to and it doesn't change as we get older. It just changes who we look up to, right? We get into high school and you tend to look up to your friends. Maybe there's some popular kids or maybe it's your peer group. 
And you all end up dressing the same. You have the same haircut or very similar haircuts. You have the same hobbies. You tend to just kind of look like each other because you kind of look up to each other. When you get into college or when you get past high school, there's a subtle shift, right? You look at somebody who's successful. Maybe it's in business or educationally. And so you get connected to a specific professor and you take all of his classes or all of her classes because you want to become like them. And if you could just hear their wisdom day after day after day, you know that slowly over time you would become like them. Or maybe you take on intentional apprenticeship. Right? There's somebody who's running a business and you know, if you can spend time with them, watch how they run their business, watch how they navigate customers, watch how they fix whatever they're doing or however they run their business. That's what you want to learn because you want to stand on the shoulder of that giant. You want to be just like that person. Now, when we get older, we don't say it. Who do you look up to? We kind of use a, a fancier term. We call it mentoring, right? Who are you being mentored by? For a lot of us, we don't have a specific mentor, but we tend to find an author, maybe a a thought leader or business leader, and we get connected. Maybe we went to Global Leadership Summit. We heard them talk. We really loved it. So we bought their whole catalog of books, and we've been working through them because they're kind of our, our mentor from a distance. Or maybe you do have an intentional mentor, someone you have coffee with, you talk on the phone with. Maybe it's like a counselor or a pastor or somebody like that, and you kind of share what's going on in your life. And they help redirect you to a a better result, right? The result that they've already gotten to because they've lived more life or they have a little bit more wisdom. And so you follow their patterns. Well, today we're going to step right into the middle of a mentorship relationship between the Apostle Paul and a young man named Timothy. And so we're going to see a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. It's actually one of the last letters that Paul wrote. And it shows you kind of the, the weight of this relationship. It shows you the gravity of how important that Paul thought Timothy was because the last letter that he wrote from prison before his death by the hand of Nero, he wrote to this young man named Timothy. And this is what he said. Now you have observed my teaching, my conduct, and my aim in life. And so right away, we see that this mentor relationship is exactly that, right? You have observed me. And Timothy, that's what he's doing, right? He was watching Paul do what he did. And if you're going to have a mentor, I mean, the apostle Paul is the guy to be mentored by, especially in that day. I mean, even from a distance, I feel like all of us today would be mentored by Paul because we're reading the letter that was written to Timothy and ultimately came to us to learn and grow. But the apostle Paul, he's an amazing guy, right? He's the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. And you know his backstory, right? He was anti-Christian. He met Christ. He became pro-Christian and then began to share that word everywhere he went. He actually ended up writing a majority of the New Testament. This was an amazing, amazing, amazing man. And as he toured around the world, he had what we call the first missionary journey. And when he was on that first missionary journey, he ran into a lady. Her name was Lois. And it ended up being Timothy's grandmother. And they had a connection. Lois's life was transformed. She believed in Jesus And then she brings her daughter there. Her name was Eunice and Eunice shows up. Her life is transformed. She believes and they tag team and they talk to Timothy and Timothy's life is transformed. He becomes a believer. And so he has this faith now, but he needs somebody to direct him. He actually needs a male figure, but there was a problem. His dad wasn't a believer. His dad wasn't even Jewish. He was, he was a pagan believer, right? So it wasn't the best influence for Timothy in his Christian journey. And so Paul steps in. 
Paul engages with this young teenager named Timothy and starts mentoring him and, and caring for him and helping him go down this path towards taking on a pastoral role. In fact, Timothy would take on the mantle of Paul once Paul was gone. But there was a problem. Timothy was incredibly, incredibly, incredibly young. And the reason we know that, because in the first letter to Timothy, we call First Timothy, he says, don't let people look down on you because you are young. You see, in that culture, in that day, if you were a teacher, you had to be 30 years old or older, right? That was what culture taught them, that you didn't have enough education, you didn't have enough wisdom to teach or preach until you had reached that birth date. But there was a problem. Timothy wasn't that old yet, but he had the gifts and the wisdom. He'd been mentored by Paul. He could do great things. So Paul told him, despite your age, despite your veneer, despite what you look like, despite your birth certificate, you need to go and preach boldly because you have something special to offer. And he does exactly that. So as Paul continues to mentor this guy, he says to him, you have seen my life. You've seen how I've lived my life. You've looked up to me and now it's your turn. You're going to do what I did. In fact, these are some of the things that you will do and you know how to do them well. You're going to teach. And we know Paul's gig. His strategy was very simple. He went to the synagogue, which was like a little community church. He opened up the scripture. He, he read the Bible. He explained it. He showed how it all pointed to Christ. And then he would apply it to the people's lives in that day. And Timothy saw this and internalized this, and he could do this. But for Paul, it was so much more than just teaching. It was a lifestyle. He says, you've seen my conduct. I don't just teach it. I live it. And you need to live it too, Timothy. And he also says, you've also seen my aim in life, right? My purpose. And we know that Paul took every opportunity, every second of his life to point people to Jesus. And he wanted Timothy to do that exact same thing. Timothy, every second, every moment, use it as an opportunity to proclaim the truth of Christ. Well, Paul goes on. You've also seen my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. He said, for Paul, this all stemmed from a, a deeply rooted faith. He had a real encounter with Christ. And so he believed this unbelievable truth that Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins and he rose again so that we can be united through our faith with a powerful, real relationship with God. So Paul says, I had my faith. And from my faith, these were the results of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. I was more patient. I was more loving. I was more steadfast. I was more consistent. And he continues. You've also seen my persecutions and my suffering. The things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And so Paul points towards kind of the negative results of what he experienced in his life. The negative results of what Timothy would probably experience if he followed and continued down this path. And he, he really creates two different scenarios here. He talks about persecution and suffering. And when he's talking about persecution, he's talking about all of the, the natural and normal ramifications of believing in Christ as Lord and believing in absolute truth. Right? If you internalize Christ for who he is, if you internalize Christ's truth for what it is, if you talk about it and live your life like this, there'll be naturally certain social circles that don't really want you around anymore. 
or groups that you don't really fit in anymore. In fact, as you proclaim Christ's truth, there's very likely people who make fun of you behind your back or maybe directly to your faith. You will experience persecution. But he also talks about suffering because Paul didn't just deal with mockery and being isolated from certain groups. He experienced the worst of the worst. I mean, he was beat up. He was whipped. He was hit with rocks. He was imprisoned. He went through all of that stuff. And then he talks about three specific locations. This happened in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Now it happened many other places, but he was talking about these three specific places because this is where Timothy was from. This is the region where Timothy lived. And so when he said these words, it would flash Timothy back to the times when he had heard these stories, or maybe he'd actually seen this happen right in front of his face, that Paul had gotten through all this stuff. But despite that, he endured, right? He made it through. And he says, God rescued me from these moments. Now, the rescue he's talking about, he's talking about that God allowed him to survive so he could keep proclaiming the message. But later on in the story, like I said, Nero would finally end Paul's journey and his candle would be snuffed out. He'd be beheaded because of the faith that he had in Christ. And even then, even when our life comes to an end, we are still rescued. We're told that in scripture. We're actually taken into the eternal relationship with God in a place where there's no pain and no sorrow. Well, the writing continues. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so Paul shifts. He's been talking about himself. And now he's pointing to the reality of what Timothy will experience. And ultimately for us today, what we will experience says, if you live a godly life, if you put godly principles into your life, if you take the Bible for absolute truth, internalize it and live it out, you will experience persecution right? You will be made fun of. You will get isolated from certain friend groups. You might lose some friends. You might get unfollowed on Facebook. People might not watch your, your Twitter, you know, feed anymore, things like that. These things happen. And Paul continues, but wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. You see, Paul had experienced enough life and you've probably experienced enough life to realize that this is true. The people buy into falsehoods, right? They, they redefine truth and then they pour it on somebody else and someone else buys into it. And once it gains enough momentum, what are they trying to do? They're trying to put their version of truth on you. And if you don't agree, if you're going in counter to the truth that they have, there will be some struggles. There will be some pain. It says it'll get bad to worse because as that momentum builds, it will encroach into your life, encroach into your space. It will affect you. Well, Paul's writing continues. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. So Paul points once again to himself and says, I have walked with you in life through your teenage years, through your young adult years, into your 20s. And I've taught you how to live. I've showed you how to live. We've had conversation after conversation after conversation. And no matter the persecution, no matter the suffering, no matter the natural result of proclaiming that Christ is Lord and proclaiming that his truth is eternal, no matter that, stay firmly rooted. Remember what I've taught you. And he continues. And how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ. 
You see, Paul wasn't the only mentor in this situation. Luckily for Timothy, he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother who poured into his life, who taught him the scriptures, who taught him the Bible, who told him the stories, who put it in his hands so that he could experience and understand the truth as well. And Paul says, remember that stuff too. Be firmly rooted in scripture. And then Paul gets really specific. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. You see, this is what Paul knew. There was going to be a day when the grandmother went away. She went to be with Jesus. There was a day when Timothy's mom was going to go away to be with Jesus. I don't know if Paul knew for sure, but he probably had a sense that very soon he was going to go on to the next life as well. So Timothy needed something to make sure that he had a roadmap for life when all of his mentors were gone. As Paul says, look at scripture. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. Or another version says, breathed out by God. It gives us this idea of God is breathing life into us through his holy scriptures, right? Through your Bible. He says, this is what it offers you. Now, before he said it offers you salvation, right? This eternal truth, but it also offers truth for your temporary existence, right? Your everyday life. He says, useful for teaching. And if it's useful for teaching, it must contain some truth, right? It actually contains absolute truth. It says you can use it to guide your life. But as you use it to guide your life, you're going to run into things that will actually cause some reproof. Meaning that you're going to run up against some eternal truth that maybe is inconvenient. Maybe some truth that you don't like. You're going to see some behaviors in your life that are going counter to what God has. And that's going to stop you. It's going to be like hitting a wall. But that's okay. Because that's where your correction comes in. That's where the space for turning comes in. And so when you run up against that wall, this is your chance, Timothy. This is our chance today to change and correct and move in a better direction. And if you do that, you're going to be trained in righteousness. Or another way to say that is, you're going to learn to live life right. And Paul closes with this. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. See, this is what Paul knew. And this is what he wanted to hand on to Timothy if he learned nothing else at all. And this is what he ultimately gives to us. That scripture is given to us, inspired by God, as eternal truth, given to us so we can do life right and work for the glory of God. You see, over the next four weeks, we're stepping into a fairly serious sermon series called Infinite God, Finite Man. And as we step into this, we're going to step into the, the complexity of an infinite God, the complexity of scripture, the complexity of how God works with us. And here's where the challenge comes in. We know our humanity. We know that if we're taking an honest assessment of ourselves, we don't know that much. We're pretty small, pretty finite. So when it comes to exploring an infinite God, when it comes to exploring scripture, even if we 100% believe that the Bible is from God and it contains absolute truth, even as we do that, it can be very, very confusing. In fact, this is why if we ran around town right now, we looked at all of the churches that believe that God's word is given to us from God to give us our North Star, 
right, to be absolute truth for us to live out in our lives and to be changed by, we still have some disagreement. But we're not all going to agree. And that's actually a kind of a beautiful thing. Because God cannot be condensed down into our little bowl. God cannot be condensed down into our way of thinking. He's so much bigger than that. And that's the beauty of God. He's infinite. We can spend the rest of our lives exploring, 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 exploring. In fact, the more we explore God, the smaller we feel. The more we learn about God, the more we realize how much more we have to learn. And so over these four weeks, that's what we're going to dig into. We're going to dig into the infiniteness of God. And as we do it, we're going to realize how small we very are. But as we do that, we need a roadmap. As we do it, we need a North Star. We need something to guide us through this. And this is where Paul steps in. We're going to take the same truth that Paul offered Timothy and put it into our lives. This is our roadmap. It's the Bible. Right? Paul said, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is given to us by God, by an infinite creator who lived before we lived, who existed for all eternity, who can see the past, the present, and the future, which means he can give us truth that lasts forever. In fact, as we compare man and we compare God, this is what we see when it comes to truth. We say that an infinite God, an infinite God, our God, the God of the Bible, he gives eternal truth for you. He gives eternal truth for me. He's the only one that can because he can see the past, present, and future, which means when he puts down truth, it does not need to change. God does not change. He doesn't need to change, which means his truth never needs to change. But if you've lived life long enough, you know this about your humanity. You know this about the world around you, that when it comes to finite man, that there's an ever-changing truth that tends to just work for me. The way we kind of say it in our modern culture is, it's, it's my truth, right? This is my truth. Now you have your truth, I have, I have my truth. But there's a problem. Man's truth constantly is changing. If you look through the generations, if you look through your life, you've seen truth evolve over time, at least how man understands it. And this is really the beauty of God's word. This is the beauty of your Bible that you have at home. This is the beauty of your Bible that's sitting in front of you in your pew. That's filled with eternal, absolute truth. What a beautiful gift. In a world that's constantly changing and constantly adapting, and it always feels like you never know what's coming next, God has given us an amazing, amazing gift. His eternal truth. That will be true from the time you received that Bible in third grade or fourth grade or picked it up today for the first time till the end of your life. So I'm excited for this sermon series. I hope you can join us as we explore an infinite God and we use his word as the North Star. And as finite humans, we explore into the depths of what God really has for us.
trying to find.